The only thing that's a little bit uncomfortable for me about this is talking about them without them here. Um, Because um, at at the end of the day, we did field 977 or something like that, um, but I didn't do it, period. I I didn't catch one ground ball. I didn't make one feed. Miles Humphreys, Luke Vandover, Connor Kelly, and David Butterfield, those are the guys that did that. For any coach, period, you know, that – that always needs to be the focus and they always need to stay at the forefront of everything you got going on. Cause at the end of the day, regardless of how you teach stuff, you're not the one that does any of it. You're dialed in to the ABCA's calls from the clubhouse podcast, connecting our coaches with some of the best baseball minds in our game. Now here's your host, Jeremy Sheetinger. Okay. A little bit more volume. Just a little bit more, and now crank it up as we are broadcasting from the ABCA National Office here in Greensboro, North Carolina. Welcome back, or welcome to our Calls from the Clubhouse podcast. We stand as your baseball coaching source for certified audio gold and the place where you come to connect with the very best baseball minds in our game. This community of lifelong learners is exactly why we show up each and every week to walk this path to discovery with you to help connect you with the very best, to challenge each of you to think differently, to improve ourselves as coaches and teachers, and just wait. You might need two buckets to pull up for this week's show. So stick with me through the reminders, especially for the first timers. Make sure you hit subscribe. Want to make sure you never miss another show. Reviews and ratings are always appreciated. And please share these shows with everyone inside your baseball circle. We're here to help challenge our community and make each of you better. And we know there's still others we want to bring into the fold. So please help us continue to keep spreading the word. Connect with us on social media. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Find us at ABCA1945. And if you want to know a little bit more about our coaching fraternity, if you want to know why 11,000 loyal members around the world continue to be part of this association, you want to know more about our regional barnstormer clinics that are coming up, and what about the ABCA convention coming to Nashville this January, so many more details are right there on our website, abca.org. We've also got a great YouTube channel at youtube.com slash ABCA1945 and also our video website, abcavideos.org. Guys, we've got resources galore. We want to make sure you dive in and get better. So head over to those sites. Also, please feel free to reach out to me directly on Twitter and Instagram at CoachSheets3 or by email Sheets, S-H-E-E-T-S, at A-B-C-A. I'm sending some major love, some major appreciation, and certainly full of gratitude out to each of you, each and every one of you, all of you. If you would bear with me, I would send shout outs to all 10,000 of you, but you guys are rock stars. Your commitment to learn, to share, to connect with each other, this community, which it is in every sense of the word, is beyond special, and it's an honor to serve you on a daily basis. And the last shout out going to the proud sponsor of this podcast, our great friends over at AstroTurf, the leaders in the clubhouse for the turf industry. On behalf of the association, we are so thankful for the relationship we have with these folks and their support of this podcast. So if you're interested in learning more about the details behind the fastest turf system designed by baseball metrics on the market, give them a follow on social media at AstroTurfUSA, but also make time to head over to their website, AstroTurf.com. That's AstroTurf.com. And find out for yourself why AstroTurf has been ahead of the curve for over 50 years. So right into our episode with infield play being our focus this week, and we found what might be one of the best teachers and developers of defenders on the small college level in Andy Shatsley, assistant coach at Harding University in Arkansas. And here's the disclaimer. Get your pen and paper ready. This is an absolute take feverish notes episode. 
major audio gold flowing out of the speakers. And Andy delivers so many insightful ideas, language, drills, mentalities that make all of us better teachers on the infield. It's a guy that was always meant to coach. He's the son of a coach, but he has a true passion for developing his guys, and that'll come through the airwaves. The results speak for themselves here, guys. Fielding 977 a year ago, that was third in the country in Division II. But that has been year after year after year with these guys. There's so much value, so much transparency getting ready to come your way. So, again, grab those buckets, grab that notepad. Let's welcome in Andy Shatsley, assistant coach at Harding University. He is our guest on this week's Calls from the Clubhouse podcast. And get ready, coaches. This great show is coming at you right now. Coaches, thanks for dialing into our Calls from the Clubhouse podcast. We're heading back into the infield skin this week. I am excited, fired up, elated to have a conversation with this individual, a guy that I know brings extreme value to this community of lifelong learners. And again, infield play throughout this entire conversation. I want to welcome in the assistant coach at Harding University, Andy Shatsley. Andy, thanks for jumping on with us, my friend. Hey, man, thanks for having us. I'm glad you're excited about it. <laughs> the last the last conversation you and I had about infield podcast was 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 whenever we were in Dallas. Yes. Said, after, after Tucker and, and, and Kai's last one, you didn't know how you were ever going to do another one. So now I, we get to try to follow that up. Exactly. That, so. Well, I think I, I think I ended it with, it's like the infield podcast to end all infield podcasts. But That's exactly right. And now here we are with me. So <laughs> it just just felt right, Andy. Yeah, we'll do, we'll do the best we can. So. <laughs> well, and again, I, I cannot preface this enough. Anyone that's been around you, anyone that's that's really privy to what's happening there at Harding and, and the the exceptional year after year results that you're getting. I mean, when you talk about over the last five six years, you guys haven't fielded under nine seventy. This past year, you were third in the country in fielding percentage. And I've watched you work. I've watched your kids work. I've seen you at Barnstormers. We see what happens with hashtag Friday Fielders on social media. There is proof in the pudding, and that's what made this a no-brainer choice to get you on. So I need you to show up today. Well, I'll, I'll do the best I can. It's not near as comfortable um, like I was telling you before we came on and what yeah. I told my wife this morning. i got a lot of confidence in my ability and in our ability here to be able to help prepare an infield. I don't really have any confidence or any reference points on, on what kind of podcast guest I am. <laughs> so this is, this is a first for me, but we'll do the best we can. But, you know, going back to what you said about our players, mm-hmm. um, that's really the one thing. If, if I stutter and stumble all through this, and if the only, the only thing that I would hope um, that people take from this or that people take from what we've got going on here at Harding, mm-hmm. um, it's a really special place. Um, Coach McGahey uh, and I have been here for eight years together. He's been here for 15 total, I think. And wow. our culture here and the chemistry that we have here because of our players, first yeah. first and foremost. Because coaches can preach stuff until they're blue in the face. But these guys, it's really a uh, it's really a special dynamic. And the only thing that's a little bit uncomfortable for me about this is talking about them without them here. Yeah. Um, because yeah. um, at, at the end of the day, we did field 977 or something like that, um, but I didn't do it, period. I, did, I didn't catch one ground ball. <laughs> sure. I didn't make one feed. Um, yeah. Miles Humphreys, Luke Vandover, Connor Kelly, and David Butterfield, those are the guys that did that. And yeah. so um, just want to make sure that those, you know, that that's for any coach, period, you know, that that always needs to be the focus, and they always mm-hmm. need to stay at the forefront of everything you've got going on. Because at the end of the day, regardless of how you teach stuff, you're not the one that does any of it. Oh, so. Preach, my friend. I love it. That's but, that, that's right in our wheelhouse. You're speaking to the choir on so, that one, my friend. Well, um, 
Let's go into this because, again, you do have an extensive history inside the ABCA, and, and we had an opportunity to get you out on the Barnstormers Tour uh, there at Arkansas Little Rock, and you just absolutely crushed that presentation. I saw you putting your work in there at the infield hot stove, and then I've just seen, and I kind of hopefully prodded you a little bit there, hey, man, increase your social media content. Get some of these videos out. Get some of these things out because you have so much to share. But take us into the association itself. How has it impacted you? How has it helped you grow? Lay us out your ABCA experience. Uh, my ABCA experience is really a little bit unique um, in that uh, my dad was an ABCA member for a long time. And I talked awesome. about this a little bit at Barnstormers. Mm-hmm. You know, the you guys are really getting the short end today um, because my dad um, is the best coach in our family and the best infield coach in our family. And it's really not even close. Awesome. Um, so he, uh, I can remember him going to conventions when I was five, six, seven years old, going mm-hmm. to Nashville, going to Dallas, going, going to Chicago, and don't really remember a ton of the specifics of him coming back and saying, hey, I listen to this guy and listen to this guy and listen to this guy. But just the idea of coaches coming together every year and him going and being a part of that, I just thought was the coolest thing ever. Mm-hmm. And so for me, you know, this profession, because I've, I've had people ask me, hey, did you go to college knowing that you want to coach college baseball? And my answer to that is always, I, w- I went to kindergarten knowing that I wanted to coach college <laughs> baseball. Um, and that's, that's because of my dad. And so this, anything that has to do with coaching and especially the ABCA, I have a lot of reverence for this mm-hmm. because it's been uh, integrated in my life for so long um, yeah. that it's whatever is just short of sacred, I think is the way I worded wow. it whenever we were speaking at the Barnstormers. It's awesome for me. Uh, you got to keep everything in perspective, but I just feel, um, you know, this is always been a a big part of my life um even whenever i was growing up um and so to be on this side of the phone or this side of the podcast or whatever is a little bit strange and (laughs) super uncomfortable but very very grateful and very very humbled um to be on it because to be 100 percent honest i'm probably not even the most deserving uh coach in our facility to be (laughs) to be on this podcast because coach mcgay's got 500 career wins the the winningest coach in the history of the program sure um so humbled to be on it thankful for everything the abca has done um and then when you talk about the conventions and the resources of videos it's been a huge 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 resource and asset Hmm. to to our to our program here um, and not just the convention. I think a lot of times that's what people always come back to, yeah. but the video resources to be able to go back and be able to show those to your players, um, or to be able to go back and take notes on something or, or, or uh, a clinic talk that you missed because you needed to be somewhere else hearing somebody else, um, has been valuable to us. And then also too, um, not that, uh, not that all that stuff is not super important, mm-hmm. but the most important is the relationship that I think the ABCA works to create um, yeah. because, yep. you know, the number of people that I have met because of the work that you guys do never would have ever met otherwise, mm-hmm. um, you know, is just ha- has been a huge blessing to us. And we are super grateful for everything that you guys do. Oh, man. Well, that is huge. I, I think my easy follow up because I am intrigued by this is what has been the feedback from the minute you started? Obviously, we put out a, a little clip inside of the uh, the Barnstormers uh, day. You obviously have an infield clinic inside of our, our uh, Barnstormers video series. What's been the feedback from that? But then when you decided that, hey, man, I'm going to film my guys, I'm going to put this out in a tweet, and I'm going to gauge the reaction, what's that reaction been? Uh, it's been great. A lot. Uh, it's been a little more substantial than what I thought it would be. Okay. Um, just to be 100% honest, it is. I am 
I'm extroverted in some facets of my life. And for, for me to go and tell our players that I'm an introverted personality, they would laugh. Um, (laughs) but that's really the only real social setting that I would consider myself super comfortable in Mm -hmm. as far as from a, you know, any type of, you know, extroverted type personality traits. And so it was super uncomfortable for me and it took prodding Mm -hmm. from you. It took prodding from my boss. It took prodding from my wife. Um, and it took prodding from our players. And once they started saying, you know, that, Hey, you know, this is probably a good idea. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's whenever, you know, Hey, let's go ahead and share some of this. If, if it helps some people. Awesome. Um, and the feedback has been great. It's helped. It's been huge for any other college coach that's thinking about doing it. Um, it's been great from a recruiting standpoint and kind of getting your, I guess, quote unquote brand out there to yes. kind of see what the day-to-day basis looks like. Mm-hmm. And two, um, people start reaching out and I would have never, you know, Kai and Tucker, I would have never met those guys mm-hmm. and probably never had a conversation with those guys if we weren't uh, a little more, I guess, uh, assertive mm-hmm. and kind of putting our message out there and putting a little more imp- imp- information out. So it's just been, you know, beneficial on, on all of those fronts. Oh my gosh. So. I love to hear that. Well, it's one of those things, you know, it's, you're in the same boat as a lot of coaches are. And, and obviously we've really tried to push that narrative that, Hey, this is a community that shares. I know sometimes it's not, uh, in abundance, but it's also never been used in the platform of social media. And so that was a big idea for us to really create that community, create that safe, you know, that, that hashtag trust tree that we've, that we've tried (laughs) to create, but, but then it, it just encouraged folks to share it, encouraged them to get stuff out. And the feedback that you just offered, the feedback that countless coaches have offered is, you know what, to push the button, push that button that first time and tweet that, that video, tweet that image, tweet that, that idea. And then you just, it gets easier. The more you do it, the more you do it, the more you do it. And then the community that just responds so positively to that, they want to engage with you. They do want to follow up. They do want to share a DM, trade an email, get your PowerPoint, whatever it is. So it's, it's just, um, it's a probably a little bit get outside your comfort zone kind of moment, Oh, big, you know, but, but once you do, you just, you're, you've walked into open arms. And so you, Andy, being the example and so many others, just press the button, share what you're doing, take a video, uh, take a selfie video, just share it. And you'll be shocked at how the community responds positively. It's pretty awesome. And I think the most important thing for anybody that, because what is a little bit uncomfortable for me is you don't want anything to come across as self-promotion. Mm-hmm. And that's, mm-hmm. uh, that was always my, I guess, main reservation yep. with any of that. But at the end of the day, it doesn't have to be about you whenever you're sharing something. Yeah. And if your players are doing a good job, they deserve as much exposure as they can get. Yeah. And, um, you know, that it, it, whenever you word it like that or you frame it like that, it becomes a little bit selfish to kind of keep it to yourself because mm-hmm. it's not about you. It's it's about your players. And there's been we've been very fortunate here that we've been very good defensively and we've been very good defensively for several years. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not just this group of guys that's done it. I mean, they have, we, all of us, the way that we do things here, this stuff was not my idea. Um, you know, we had a few basic concepts that we wanted to, you know, to, 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 to try to see put in place and that all of us have done it. We've all worked together, um, to try to make this, as good as we can. And we knew that it was something that we had to do to be able to be competitive in a, in our, 
in our in our league. And so any notoriety that we get from a defensive standpoint, you know, somebody's got to be the one that hits sin. But it's about your players. It's about those four guys' names I mentioned, and it's about the guys that came before them too. It's yeah. about Alan Copeland. It's about John Chapman. It's about Kyler Offenbacher. It's about Noah Chandler. I'm going to make some people mad for leaving some names out, but <laughs> you started you know, it. <laughs> um, it's about all those guys, and you know, for you know, John Chapman, for example, was a 5'8", 150 pound shortstop that nobody really wanted, mm-hmm. and ended up being a three year starter here, um, and super underrated skill set just just because he's small, big time hands and feet. Um, big time motor and he and I clashed as much as any player and coach have ever clashed ever. Um, but we, both of us pushed the other one as hard as we could for his entire career here. And he really turned himself into, into, into a really good defender. So, Mm. oh boy, but well, I'm telling you, you can hear it. And I know our listeners can hear it because they have trained ears at this point. Humility is apparent and the beauty of it is, is is there's value inside where we're going with this but i definitely want to set the stage Andy, because i think you having the ability to lay out your career path and where you've been how it's shaped you how it's molded you maybe some lessons learned along the way and then just bring us up to current speed and then we're going right into infield play man i'm grabbing the fungo and we're going to work all right well i'll, I'll skip the playing career because there's nothing um you outside, and me both. Of pe- <laughs> outside of the people that i was able to play for mm-hmm. um able to play for Jeff Burr and Cody Hooten, who is now the head coach yeah. at Anderson State University, uh, was the was the infield coach at Pratt Community College a hundred years ago now. Um, <laughs> and who recruited me to Pratt? Um, had a chance to play there actually for three years. Long story on how you end up in junior college for three years, but we'll <laughs> we'll go ahead and skip that one. And then transferred to Lyon College, where where, yeah. where Tony Repke is now the head coach. I actually mm-hmm. played for Kirk Kelly while I was there. Rep was the assistant, um, and one of the most uh, impactful decisions I've, I've ever made in my life was to come back there really mm-hmm. for, for, for both those programs. So just very, very fortunate, uh, to be around really, really good people. And then that theme kind of continues. I was, didn't, couldn't really find anything from a coaching standpoint, right, right after I got done playing, um, was able to somehow, uh, get a graduate assistant position um, at Lubbock Christian University uh-huh. in, in West Texas with, with Nathan Blackwood um, and was actually a part of an NAI national championship my first year of coaching. Mm-hmm. And so um, they uh, had a chance to work there, had a chance to work in a couple different summer leagues, worked in the Jayhawk, worked in the Coastal Plains League. Um, whenever I was done in Lubbock, uh, went to work for Bob Fernelli um, at mm-hmm. Emporia State for a year. Um, he's now the head coach at Pitt state and 900 million career wins yeah, or something like that. So, um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, and had, had a chance to work there for a year and John Martin, um, who is actually the head coach at the university of central Oklahoma now was actually the other assistant at that time. Gotcha. So Johnny did the pitching there. Um, I did the infielders coach Fernelli had his hands in everything mm-hmm. because that's all he's kind of done is won his, 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 his whole career. Yeah. So, um, had a chance to work at Emporia. Um, and then this job came open here, and I'm actually from Northeast Arkansas. Uh, my wife Sarah and I had gotten married over the summer, um, and so she's about an hour from here. Uh, she's she's from about an hour uh, an hour from here, excuse me, and I'm from about two hours. So it was a chance to get um, closer to home mm-hmm. um, at an awesome university. Uh, a chance to kind of spread our wings a little more from a responsibility standpoint too. Um, and, and like I said, be around both our families and come to a university that's just really has basically everything to offer without getting into a huge recruiting spill. Um, but, uh, 
with great facilities and a great boss to work for, um, mm. and, and Dr. Patrick McGay. And so, um, I've been fortunate to work at really good places, but more important than that, I've been extremely blessed, uh, to work with, to work with even, even, uh, better people. That's so, oh, wow. Well said. So I want to go into this segment of the infield conversation, but I can't walk away from your career path without asking, how have you grown as an oh. infield coach? And I think that's such a powerful question. And I hope our listeners never gloss over at that because yeah. man, I think if when you, when you've got years under your belt, it's so awesome. It's so actually refreshing. And you can rescue wisdom from the past and go, what was I teaching at 23? What was I yeah. teaching at 28? What am I teaching now? Uh, it makes you reinforce those things. So what do you yeah, got? Yeah, those, those, those poor guys is kind of the first thing that comes to mind. <laughs> you know, it's sure. one of those things like, like I, heard, I heard Alan Gum say at the, at, the, at the Barnstormers talk where it was like, you can't always make a square peg fit in a round hole. And like for a lot of his coaching career, it was just always, hey, let's just go grab a bigger hammer. Yeah. You know, and like. Which is sure. kind of the way I was too, um, and you know, in some in some ways, still am. Super old school. We're going to work a certain way, yeah. or or else kind of deal. And it's a little bit, uh, you know, it's different now because, um, uh, like I said, our our culture and the way that we go about things, or the way that our players go about things, is in such a good place. There's mm -hmm. not really a need for a hammer most of the time. Maybe a little bit out of the gate, but they do a great job of of kind of policing that stuff themselves because their care factor is so high. Um, but you know, early, early on, really, to be honest, um, the best experience I had, um, from developing, I guess, how you want to go about teaching infield play or really anything. When I was in Lubbock, um, there was obviously the varsity team or the main club and they actually had a JV program okay. um, that was completely separate. And it was 20 or 25 guys that weren't going to be on a main club, weren't on scholarship. Didn't, didn't dress inside the locker room. Um, we practiced, we had 90 minutes and we practiced from 1230 to two o'clock. Um, and it was me and one volunteer. And I, you know, I don't mean this negative about Nathan at all, but one of your main functions, whenever you have a GA who's in charge of a JV program is that so that the head coach, who's got a million other things to worry about, yeah. right? You kind of keep it out of, out of his plate. Sure. Right. And so he was really, he just wanted him to represent the program, right? just uphold the values of the program and go get them. Hmm. And that was kind of it. And so it was me and them in 90 minutes. And, you know, how do I word this kindly? Some players that had some deficiencies. Yeah. Is that, yeah. Is that areas for improvement? <laughs> um, but to be able to, you can do one of two things whenever you are given responsibility like that. You can be 23 years old and say, I don't want to be a JV coach. Yeah. Right. Or, um, you can, you know, try to create a good culture mm -hmm. and try to, uh, keep guys from being too cool to care. It's, it's oh, kind of how I word it. That's good, um, yeah. and regardless, regardless of what we're doing, you know, if we're going to play and we played all Texas junior colleges so that we could recruit also while we were there. So we had our hands full, we're playing Howard, um, and we're playing Clarendon and, and we're playing Weatherford and we're playing New Mexico junior college. Um, you know, with some guys that have some limitations, um, uh, without any scholarship money and 90 minutes a day, four days a week, we didn't even get to practice on Friday. Mm. Um, and so that was basically a blank canvas to, uh, just kind of make a million mistakes mm -hmm. and didn't really have a plan going in. Um, and sometimes too here, you know, that still kind of holds, I don't a hundred percent know what our infield stuff will look like start to finish this fall because I haven't seen us yet. Mm. And so you just kind of start working. And, you know, the only thing that's got to hold constant 
is how much it matters to you and how you're going to go about your business. And then you just start trying to dig it out of the dirt. Um, and you know, you, you can see where we've got deficiencies. You can see what's showing up in a game and then you adjust your practice plans accordingly based on the demands of your schedule. Um, and the demands of your development for your roster. And so, wow. uh, those guys were awesome. We were actually 500 both years somehow. Um, <laughs> and you know, even those guys to Justin Jones, Drew Hyden, Christian Sobranis, Brett Mort, um, you know, Josh Capello, Cody Stancil, like those guys, I hope some of those guys are listening. Um, some of the most fun I've ever had coaching. We wow. practiced for 90 minutes a day. We had a water bottle and they put them in their back pocket because we didn't have time to stop for 90 minutes. And we just, you know, worked at it as hard as we could. And, um, we threw to the right basis and, you know, we stayed in front of ground balls and yeah. if it kicks off our chest, at least it's not rolling in the outfield. Um, and we tried to choke up a lot with two strikes and we just tried to do the best we could. So it was some of the most fun I've ever had, but just, you know, I just kind of say all that. It's kind of a long winded answer just to say that, you know, you never know if you gloss over certain responsibilities that you're given, yes, you never know what chances you're missing to impact the players' lives yeah. and to impact your development too. Um, because those varsity guys didn't, didn't need me. Um, there was five or six drafts on the, on, on those teams. They just needed somebody to swing the fungo and get out of the way. Yeah. Um, where I developed as a coach was working with those JV guys, period. Mm. Um, so anyway, that's kind of where everything started. Wow. I guess. That's outstanding. So let's get into this handout that I'm fortunate to have in front of me. And Andy, I'm just going to let you know, I've said that and now you'll be shocked. How many of our listeners will want you to tweet this out? I'm just letting you know it's coming. They're going to want to see it because I've referenced it, <laughs> but it's another yeah. share opportunity. That's the beauty of it. Yeah, um, you bet. So I want to go into uh, the basically overall approach. And I think if we're, you know, I love the the thirty thousand foot overview of infield development. How okay. do you see it? How do you approach it? What are the the the, maybe the key uh, maybe cues or language that you use? Give us the overview so we can dive in a little bit deeper. Okay, it kind of starts with kind of a singular sentence that I read in a book. Um, it's actually not Bill Walsh's quote. It's Joe Montana speaking about Bill Walsh, and I'm a huge football guy. Yeah. Period. Yeah. Um, they uh, try to read as much stuff as I can. The processes and the systems that those guys have in place are able to keep streamlined just fascinates me. But Joe Montana said on Bill Walsh that like the kind of his genius was his ability um, to make the complex comprehensible, right? Mm -hmm. And then the comprehensible attainable. And so that's kind of what we're trying to do from a defensive standpoint, too, because defense is super complicated. Yeah. Period. Uh, it's not football. There are no plays to memorize. There are no coverages. We don't have a playbook. You've got to be able to react on every play um, to the demands of the ball and the demands of the runners. Hmm. And um, so in order to do that, right, we need a system in place that's going to be um, simple enough that it's not overwhelming yeah. so the guys can still be clear-headed, right, but thorough enough that allows us to meet all of those demands on a, on a consistent basis, if that, if that makes sense. Yeah. So. That's where everything kind of started. Um, and, I, you know, whenever I was speaking at the Barnstormers thing, even if we're just talking about a ground ball, not the scoreboard, not outs, yep. not the situation, you know, if we're just talking about a ground ball, the number of different types of ground balls is basically infinite. Mm -hmm. Infinite numbers of types of spin, infinite numbers of, you know, velocity or whatever, different, different field conditions. And so people ask me sometimes, how do you teach ground ball approach? Well, we, 
we we really don't, mm-hmm. you know, because every ground ball is different. Kai does a really good job explaining this, where he says, "Hey, we're going to get one lane over and then and then and then and then pace of the ball." Yeah. Um, and that's a really simple way of wording it, but because of you know kind of how complicated it is, and you know because of that, just reading that in passing, um, we kind of developed a, a system where we're going to deal more in principle than we're than we're going to deal in specific, mm. and so. Um, for us, and it's not just infield defense, all of defense, um, we're going to do three things basically on every play, right? Where we're going to be on time and athletic pre-pitch route and glove presentation, no matter what it is, whether I'm catching or whether I'm playing center field or whether I'm playing center or or whether I'm playing first base, right? We're going to be on time and athletic pre-pitch route and glove. And then we're going to work to catch the ball glove side in the front. Okay. Hmm. And then once we do that, we're going to be able to flip our feet and throw with backspin. And if we can do those three things, then we can defend. If we can't do any of the one of those three, then the results are going to suffer. And so that's kind of the 30,000 foot view. Um, Whenever people ask me, how do you guys teach relays? Right. It's well, we're going to be on time and athletic. We're going to catch the ball glove side in the front and we're going to flip our feet and throw with backspin. Like, how do you teach ground balls? Like, we're going to do those three things. Like, how do you teach catching? Like, we're going to do those three things. And I don't know that that's great podcast material. Um, and to be honest, man, like, I don't know if it works for anybody else. I don't know if it worked for the Yankees. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if it would work for, you know, the Cardinals, but I know it works for Connor Kelly. And, you know, that's our main goal and that's, and that, and that's our main priority. And it's been, it's been really good to us. Oh my goodness. I like the, I like the way you've, you've kind of framed it. I I, I like the idea of specifics and I'm, what I'm going back to as a coach is that, you know, too often, I think at times we have an idea of what it looks like and we coach to that look. Uh, I think at times that, that certainly falls in the hitting aspect. You get locked in on one specific look, one hitter, his movements, and then we try to take that. And then just basically blanket that over right. twenty different players. And what yeah. I love about that, I think I'm, I think I'm hearing this right, Andy, is it's less again about the specifics, and you're more into just right. the overall overarching principles that right. really show up and they're tried and true. Is that about right? Yes, sir. Can you do those three things? Gotcha. If you can do those three things, then we can manage the ball and we can manage the runners. Yeah. Which is really like we've got a definition for like what we classify defense is, is, you know, like the ability I don't have it in front of me. Our players are going to, I make them memorize it. So they're going to get on me if I get this wrong, but like it's, uh, intelligent aggression, discipline, intelligent aggression to the primary base, right. Mm. While maintaining the ability to manage secondary runners through the control of distance and trajectory. Okay. So like if we can, if we can take good angles, right. And we can get in front of the ball, And we don't ever get too far apart, right? And we throw it flat to somebody else who can catch it, then we can play defense. That takes care of all your relay structures. That takes care of bunt defense. That takes care of first and third defense without having to, because it's one thing to be able to memorize a ton of specifics. It's quite another to be able to understand why you're doing it. And if they Mm -hmm. can understand while they're while they're doing it, if they understand the principles, then they can apply those principles to a thousand different contexts. And it also allows them to be more adjustable on the, on the, on the fly. Too. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I think what well, it's a huge word. I've heard that quite a bit and it's one that's, that's challenged me is adjustability. And so we can definitely have ideals. We can definitely have in our mind, we know these are, these are the tried and true mechanics, but you've got to have right. adjustability. Cause again, you talk yep. about speed, velocities, playing surface. So how do we, when we show up to campus 
and you get these cats in front of okay. you for the first time. We're, we're post-first team meeting, and now you say, infielders, we're meeting tomorrow at 1 o'clock. How do you introduce this? Get how do some you, rest. Yeah. Get, get <laughs> yeah. some rest. Get prepared. Get your thing. mind right. Yeah. Um, but how does no. it get implemented? How, like, how does how does the first day look? How's the first week look? Uh, Take us through that process. It's uh, that's a really good question, and one that's where sometimes it's more art than science. Gotcha. Um, you know, I'm really really type A in some things. Um, when it comes to the team dynamic or 100% what we're going to do on, on a, on a day to day basis. Sometimes that's kind of where the art comes in. Hmm. Um, but there's gotta be, I think where ground zero has to be regardless of what time of year it is or whatever. And this is something I heard Nick Saban say on a 60 minutes interview. So this is not mine. The, <laughs> our old players, if they're listening to this, are going to laugh and, say, and start making fun because I say this all the time. Like we associate a standard with everything that we, that we do here. And that goes hmm. across the board. And that comes from the top, from, from from the from the boss and Coach McGay, hey, we associate a standard with everything that we do, and then we're never going to get away from that standard, period. And that's where everything starts, and that's where you know everybody's got to buy into that standard. Now I'm directly quoting Nick Saban, or you really can't have any type of chemistry, period, because mm. that's where chemistry comes from. Chemistry doesn't come from personality. Chemistry doesn't come from whether somebody's got good social skills. We've got all kinds of personalities, and we've got guys that are you know road scholars. And guys that are going to be president of the United States, and we got guys that couldn't carry on a conversation with anybody. Um, and so that's not what that's not what chemistry is about. Chemistry is mm. about bu- people that are buying in and people that are committed. Because if you've got that in common, then nothing else matters, yep. right? The flip yep. side of that, we can have a bunch of guys with the same personality type, and if they don't care, you know, then we're not going to have any chemistry. Mm. And so um, that's where everything starts, and you let everything kind of disseminate from there. And the one thing that we try to get across is. Um, you know, that we have to stay stacked right in really three parts, right? Mm -hmm. That everything comes back to people, process, and player. Okay. And where the bottom of that pyramid is kind of how I show it to them, um, is us as people, because most of the time, the ebbs and flows that we have in performance or the ebbs and flows that we have as a program have nothing to do with us as players and everything to do with us as people. Yeah. Um, and so that's where you kind of start and you kind of tell them that's what the first part of the fall is about is interacting with your teammates, right? Like if we're, if we're lifting in the morning, don't look like you combed your hair with a pillow, you know, like, because it's not about, uh, you know, it's not about trying to be militaristic or being a dictator. Um, it's, it's about care factor and it's about what you're at, what type of message that your actions are conveying. And so if somebody walks in 30 seconds before a meeting's supposed to start and you know, they're not ready and they obviously don't look prepared. It's not about the meeting. It's about what their commitment level is. Mm. And so you try to communicate that stuff, and that's kind of where it starts. And then from there, things just kind of present themselves. Um, and as long as you're sticking to those standards, right, the, the lessons that the guys are going to need for us to be able to navigate the course of the season and for them to be able to navigate whatever's next for them um, are going to come up and you're going to be able to address them as long as you're staying with the standard um, and never uh, compromising um, on what the values of the program are. Yeah. Oh, wow. We could cut the episode right there and there are certified audio gold moments and nuggets. I'm telling you, I was like, you you know, better than that. I'm telling you, that is so good for somebody that really (laughs) take me into this because, uh, and again, uh, our coaches that know I'm, I'm a catch play enthusiast. Uh, I love to watch a good series of catch play and, and I'm always intrigued how guys approach it. I've seen it done maybe more in a, a pro style format where it's kind of 
lay, right. on, lay on the back foot, let the arm fly. And there's not a lot of footwork, not a lot of focus on, on drills or, or fundamentals. And then I've seen the other side of it where it's got a regiment to it. It's got a routine. It's got details that, uh, I know I did as a coach. And I think a lot of coaches that, that use that right. style think is that that directly correlates with exactly what's on the next practice plan that, that correlates with exactly what's going to happen in the game. How do you approach catch play? Uh, we've just got our catch routine. That's okay. what we call it. We've got really like deep philosophical names for all of our drills, right? Like the like the bucket drill, <laughs> like where we put the balls in a bucket. Sure, right? like we spent huge, a lot man. of time thinking of names <laughs> for all this stuff. So sure. um, anyway, our 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 catch routine um, is pretty thorough in kind of the number of different feeds that in that it, that it incorporates. Okay, uh, but it is not very long. Um, okay. we kind of start with. And I'll just try to roll through it as best I can. Please. Like, Double play feeds from second, uh, double play feeds from short. You make five or six apiece. And kind of where our catch routine started, for me anyway, it's been really good to us in being a little more thorough and making sure that we're rehearsing certain feeds that we're going to make on a, on a mm-hmm. daily basis. Mm-hmm. But where it kind of started for me was getting tired of watching guys throw throw hook shots and do like wrist flips yeah. for like 15 minutes, yeah. you know, like that. That is, you know, because that is a huge pet peeve of mine. If you if you roll a football out there, like guys can't stretch or they didn't do anything, and a guy will run a 40-yard post um, route, and we're smoking it over the middle. The <laughs> sure. football weighs a pound, yeah. you know, and we'll flip them a five-ounce baseball, and it takes them 25 minutes to be able to throw the ball across. <laughs> sure. You know, so, um, and now the Eric Cressys of the world and all the people that have a physical therapy background, they're much smarter than I am. I'll probably cringe whenever I say that. But, like, we, it's pretty quick. We go double play feeds from second. Double play feeds from short, and then we rehearse throwing off our right foot, kind of a dart throw on the run. Um, and then we run into quick catch, and then from quick catch, we do a thing called running starts. And I've got all this stuff on video. Um, if, okay. any, if anybody needs to see it, it'll make a lot more sense there. Um, we do, we do running starts, and then once we get our running starts done, um, we go into a we're basically now back at about 75 or 80 feet, and then we, and then we do our ground ball throwing where we'll do three feeds from each catch lane, which is terminology that we stole straight from Tucker, mm-hmm. where we'll do four throws from our, from our two-hand lane, four feeds from our one-hand lane, four feeds from our, from our backhand lane. And then what we try to do, that takes us, um, my big thing for us anyway, on, on our catch routine, is it needs to be thorough, but, and this kind of applies across the board with all of our drill work, the biggest thing is the rhythm and the cleanliness of it. Whenever we're doing something right, it's got a certain cadence. Yeah. It's got it's got a certain group type of vibe, you know, that just kind of tells you that everything's clean and everything is crisp. Yeah. And so catch routine's no different for us. And it takes three or four minutes, kind of tops, for us yep. to be back okay. to, to, to 80 feet. And and then from there, and this is something, you know, that I've heard some other people say too, we try to spend more time throwing from our position than we do down the left field line. And so, yes. you know, that's that a, allows us to be ready right to go. Yeah. And yeah. then we'll go maybe into some of our primer or combo drills, like some stuff that we've shared on, 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 on Twitter, whether it be a box drill, X drill, yeah. bucket drill or short house with a throw or whatever. And then we move into our short distance ground ball routine, um, from, from, from our spots. And what we will always throw across whenever, whenever we're doing that too. So, you know, catch routine is important for us because it does give us, it just allows us to touch on kind of each one of those feeds builds feel it builds conviction it builds rhythm but it also allows us to get loose in a hurry um, and then kind of save our bullets um, for a little more game-like type feeds if all that kind of makes sense no it does so you guys aren't spending a lot of time on long toss per se as you are getting back no. and really get over to your position let's, let's throw from there right 
And that also depends on our roster. Um, the reason that okay. that's the way we'll do it this year, because we've got four returner, four returning infielders um, that have all played every day since they were freshmen. Um, and so, you know, the building of arm strength, it's not, not going to be a huge deal right off the bat. Now, yeah. if we're redshirting somebody or somebody has an obvious deficiency that's something that they need to work on, then maybe we prescribe that to, we prescribe that to them a little bit extra maybe or something to that effect. I'm not saying that we neglect long toss. It just depends on, you know, we, we've got, you know, one's kind of set of demands that we've got to make sure we take care of the whole group first. Mm-hmm. And then if somebody has that need, we either get that done before or after practice or, or maybe during the spring, whenever they're redshirting. Gotcha. Wow. That's uh that's really fantastic. And again, be looking on social media guys. I think Andy's going to share some of this really cool stuff this week and, and get this out. So guys can, can see it live in action. Okay. So, now we've got a catch play, and, and we go into this. Uh, you know, you taught it the short distance ground ball routine. What might that look like? It, just give us the details inside how that might function. Yeah, it's we kind of. It just depends on where we're doing it at. If we're doing it inside, we always start on our knees, and I'm big on especially whenever we're inside um, taking ground balls off the machine for okay. all the same reasons that I, I said before. The the turnaround time and being able to get stuff out. You can get balls in and out of those machines a million times quicker than what somebody can get ready to hit a fungo. Sure. And so it allows us, if we got three or four guys in a line, basically by the time that they get back to the end, it's time to roll again. So yeah. we can slow down if we need to, if guys are getting too gas, as opposed to constantly be trying to push the pace. Um, and so if we're inside, we always start on our knees um, and we will kind of work in each lane. And so there's just kind of, it's either knees, stance, heel toe, flamingo, or split separate. And we've got a video of this. Um, I can retweet it if somebody needs it, or they can look it up on, on our, our, our Twitter page. It always kind of follows the same progression. Um, and then we just kind of set, uh, how many times we're working each lane within each stance. And then we set what our, what our post catch throwing pattern is. Um, -hmm. so we'll say we're going, Hey, we're going to do, uh, heel toes, right? Three each lane two-step throwing pattern or we're doing split separate for each lane, two-step throwing pattern or four-step throwing pattern or whatever. Um, So that's kind of how we structure it. And then it just kind of depends on the day and what we feel like the needs of that roster are. And then once we get to the spring, I get a lot less heavy handed with the specifics of exactly how many each guy's doing in each lane and how many, you know, specific throwing patterns a guy's working on a day and kind of leave that up to them once we kind of all get on the same page, if okay. all that kind of makes sense. No, it certainly does. So, Inside your practice plan, Andy, okay. what what might it look like for an infielder on a daily basis? Like once we get into either indie defense or obviously team defense, right? what might it look like? What might be some things that you think are tried and true that over time you really can, can contribute the success to these factors, these, these drills, these fundamentals being practiced inside your plan? Uh, the, my initial gut reaction is giving them some say in what we're doing. Oh, um, the, the guys it. from the guys from 2013 would laugh if they heard that out loud. <laughs> sure. um, but, uh, you know, they, there's not a day really that goes by that I don't touch base with Luke or Connor and David and ask them what they feel like they need. Gotcha. Um, and that's really where a lot of it comes from. They kind of know in principle and in theory, I talked to Luke last night and just kind of asked him, Hey, you know, is there, you know, one thing that you feel like has really helped you develop. And he said that his favorite thing that we do are all of the primer drills or all of the combo type drills where somebody's catching it, somebody's making a feed, 
and somebody's catching that one and flipping their feet and smoking it back. And he said, you know, the rhythm of that helps my feel a lot more than thinking about the exact specifics of my footwork. Mm -hmm. And he's like, there's also, you know, there's kind of whenever we get it going right and we're in whenever infield work has a certain cadence to it, that rhythm and that cleanliness, I think, also promotes kind of a group confidence also, too, that I think is just as important and probably more important. Um, than any rep or any specific or fundamental. So, um, you know, the short answer is I give them a lot of say in what we're doing. Um, but two, it's kind of catch routine. There's got to be, it, it's just kind of a, you know, a graduated scale of we've got to be able to move the ball a little bit. We've got to be able to move our body and get going. Mm. And then we've got to kind of isolate some stuff to find some rhythm and make sure the exchanges are clean. Right. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I'm not a huge advocate of the a million short hops on your knees. I think they have their place. I think especially if you're working with younger guys or like, and there are times that I neglect it too much that I'll look at us and like, Hey, you haven't done this enough in a while. Mm-hmm. But, um, I like exchange, the working on the exchanges where they take a short hop or they take a rolled ball, they break it across their chest and make their exchange and flip their feet and smoke it like what we're going to have to yeah. do in a game. Yeah. And so, you know, some type of lead up, some type of primer move, and then just exactly what Tucker says, where we're not going to drill our guys to death. You know, you don't want to overprescribe. It's kind of like, you know, that's kind of the medicine and we don't want to be over, over medicated. I sure. think is how, how he worded it. Um, and so then, and this would be the only thing that might be a little bit unique for us. This is something that I got from coach Fernelli. We don't take a lot of fungos, um, hmm. period. We have, we take a lot of double and triple BP and make sure that the BP feeders stagger their feeds. I need to say that again so that nobody sues us. Um, make sure that the guys that are throwing stagger their feeds so there aren't more than one ball being hit at a time. Okay. And we try to catch as many live ground balls as we can. Um, oh, I like it. And so on, on, a, on a game day, for example, they will do their short-distance ground ball with a feed on the field while the, while the bunt rounds are going on. That's kind of the first thing they do. And then they will get five or six ground balls, I think is about how many I normally hit them to get, to get loose. And then everything's live off the bat from there. Wow. So that's kind of a little bit of a typical day. I and mean, it's hard to really go into without really being able to describe the specific drills, but it kind of follows, I guess, that kind of rhythm and that kind of cadence. Gotcha. Oh, wow. That's really good. Okay. The drill sequence here. There, there is so much gold inside your drill work. And you talked about the cadence. You talked about the the confidence that comes from that, you know, I, I started to get, again, told you I'm an infield dork here, but I'm starting to get these, these hairs to stand up a little bit because when I watch your team work out the clinic, when I watch your team with these videos on social, it has that it actually, for me, it comes through the screen. Like, Hey man, these dudes are confident. These dudes know exactly what they're doing. They're not afraid. Like you mentioned to let it rip and smoke, smoke a ball, but it's the, it's the feel that comes from your group. The, the, to me, it's the confidence. It's the mentality that you know they've been drilled, they've been disciplined, they've got the fundamentals wrapped. Um, take us into the drill work, at least the ones that you think uh, are maybe primary to get things moving in the right direction and build this confidence, and then we'll get into the, the deeper stuff in a second. Yeah, I mean, it just depends on the nature of your roster. What has been good to us specifically is to get the ball in and out of our glove as many times as we can do it. Um, make exchanges with a fourth sense of urgency, um, Mm. where the first time that they feel a sense of urgency is not in a game where, you know, then that's where you've got to kind of manage the pace. And that's why, you know, I'm able to back off a little more now than what I was doing six or seven years ago. And the guys are like, Hey, when's he going to back off? 
You know, like, when's this guy going to get <laughs> yeah, off her back? And eventually happened. it's like, oh, never. Yeah, he's never going to get off her back. And yeah. so then it can kind of shift to where, you know, and this, that's one thing that's really important, too, to kind of paint an accurate picture of the way these guys do stuff. It's one thing to do stuff because you have to. And it's quite another to do stuff because you want to. And, you know, now that's how you can have an environment um, that is disciplined, that is super focused, that's also super loose also. And that Mm. balance is vital, vital in not losing them and making sure that the work stays consistent, you know, where the yen's got to equal the yang type of deal. Um, But, you know, for us, you know, and just kind of some of the stuff that we've shared that people may be able to look at, um, you know, the short hops with a throw. The bucket drills for us, it sounds really simple. Um, it sounds a little bit probably too, uh, I don't know, el- el- elementary, I guess, but where we feed a ball into a machine, right? And a guy catches it and he flips his feet and throws it based on his two step throwing pattern. And I think that's one thing that's also a little bit unique to us is that whenever we're doing these drills, uh, everything's going to be on two step throwing, right? Unless we get a bobble. And I think that has been super beneficial um, to the development of our exchanges, the development of our of our footwork. We always want to have the two step gear in the tank if we need it. Um, and then if we don't, we can always check it down to four steps or in the event that we get a bobble or whatever. You know, but the thing about working on the two step uh, throwing pattern more is that not only does it help your exchanges and it shows up if you have exchange mm-hmm. issues or whatever, mm-hmm. but if you're first, if you're ready to throw on the first two steps, then your four-step throwing pattern is going to be even more productive. Yeah. And so that's kind of the key, the uh, making sure that we haven't just gained some ground, that we've actually maxed out the amount of ground that we could gain. So, you know, for us, that's kind of at the forefront of whenever we do a bucket drill, whenever we do short hops with a throw, of making sure that we're flipping our feet and getting the ball completely online, right? And then be able to throw it with backspin. And I think like when we, whenever we talk about the confidence, and this is not a specific drill, this is still kind of an overarching deal that kind of applies to all of these. Um, because really all of these drills kind of accomplish the same thing. Um, it's just kind of we've got a lot of them from just trying to build variety over the years. Yeah. Or maybe one of our players had a little bit of an idea. The bucket drills were, were, were not my idea. I don't <laughs> even remember what year we started doing them. But we were, we'd, we'd been stuck inside for about a week. And, you know, we're, you get tired of doing the same thing over and over and we flip our feet and throw it and said, Hey, let's use this as a bag and we'll catch it and let's just drop it in the bucket. That way we don't have to throw them down behind her. So they don't all pile up mm-hmm. somewhere. Like that's mm-hmm. where they started. So, um, <laughs> but the, the, the ability to throw the ball with backspin, um, I think is where a lot of that confidence comes from. And one yeah. thing that's a little bit different for us, and this is a little bit unique and this may not be, you know, this may turn some people off. I'm not big on a million different arm slots. I think they have their place. And I think with certain players that they have their place, but for us and our roster here, um, the, I don't think it takes really any more time. If you've got time to take two steps, right. Then you've got time to get your arm up and throw it with backspin. And so the dependability of that, I think is where a lot of the confidence has kind of come from. Um, and working on their bow position and working on their shoulder plane, the ability to move the ball flat, whenever you can do that, that takes a lot of, that has a trickle-down effect mm-hmm. and kind of taking away a lot of the anxiety where they can catch the ball first. And so that's kind of, it kind of works backwards, but if you've got a lot of confidence in how you're making a feed and the conviction and dependability and aggressiveness of that feed, 
that removes a lot of anxiety where now you can just be focused on the ball, catching the ball first. Cause once I catch it, I'm going to flip my feet and he's out. Yeah. And so, you know, that was kind of the main goal of whether it be the box drill or whether it be the X drill that we do, which a lot of times we'll go from just a traditional four corner setup, right? Where we go mm-hmm. around the box clockwise and around the box counterclockwise. And then from there, we'll just switch it to the X drill. And what that is, is it's kind of a Tommy Mansky look. I'm sure that we're not the ones that, that, that thought of it where <laughs> sure. you stay in your, you stay in your four corner setup, right? And I throw a ground ball right across the middle of the box mm-hmm. and I'm standing in our indoor pointing right now, like anybody can see me, but, um, we're going to throw <laughs> we're it with you. No, direct, yeah, d- directly across the box. And that guy's going to catch it. He's going to go two step throwing and he's going to feed it to his left. Right? right. And that guy catches the feet in the air. He does his double play footwork or whatever you're going to call it. He flips his feet and he smokes another ground ball right across the X. Right. Does all that make sense? Yes. And so you got a ground ball across, you feed to the left ground ball across feed to the left. And you have to, in order for that to be beneficial, everybody's got to be working in the same rhythm or the same pace, or it's going to drag and it's going to stall and the ball's going to stick. Right. And so, you know, that's not a, you know, kind of a characteristic that we talk about here of really, really talented defenses that you can see in the spring is that the ball never sticks anywhere. Right. If we get a six, three and there's nobody on base, first baseman catches it, comes off with some pace and smokes it right back to the shortstop. And we throw the ball around the ball never stops anywhere. So that type of drill where, you know, there is kind of a forced sense of urgency. We're trying to set the rhythm and set the cadence. Um, you know, the more that we do that, and it won't be clean the first week. And, uh, I'm, I'm not a patient guy by nature. Um, but it's getting better. It's better than it used to be. But if you can, you know, stay based in principle where, Hey, get it to your glove side, right? Make sure that we're not too high, make sure that we're not late and be able to flip our feet and spin it and things are going to clean themselves up. And so, you know, that's kind of, yeah, I mean, but I think a lot of it comes back to whether we can catch the ball glove side, but then being able to throw the ball with backspin for us, I think has had probably the most positive trickle down effect in anything else that we're doing. Um, because that removes a lot of anxiety, um, allows them to be confident. And what I tell them, I'm not opposed to different arm slots. It's just that, you know, the thing that I will talk to them about, if you're not going to do it, in the finals of the conference tournament with our season on the line, right? Then don't practice it. Yeah. Don't practice it. Now the rebuttal to that is you need to practice it enough, right? So that you can be confident with it online. And I get that side of it. But for us, this is what's been good to us. You yeah. watch Tucker's guys. It's insane. Those guys are so confident throwing from a million different slots and they're really good at it. His results speak for themselves. Mm-hmm. But for us here, this is what's been good to us. Um, and so, you know, that as long as that's showing up, regardless of the context of our drill work, then I feel like we're moving in the right direction. Wow. I know you've got a lot of different variations of the bucket drill. I know the bucket plays a a central role in a lot of (laughs) drills that you guys have, but can you lay out some of the variations? I think if I'm a coach, because I'm sitting here on my second page of notes, and I think there's more coaches that probably have three or four pages going right now, lay out some variations of how they could use that bucket and then kind of talk us through the sequence and cadence of that. And it's just, it's, we basically have got, you've got either a, a fungo hitter and a, and a machine, right? And you've got like a line of two or three guys next to him. And those guys are receiving the throw from the person that's taking the ground ball, yeah. if that makes sense. Yeah. So the guy that's away from me right now, like I'm pointing, like you guys can mm-hmm, see me, mm-hmm. he's taking a ground ball and he's got a bucket on some side of him. Now, the number of variations that you can do with this, this is something we got from Kai, is that you can angle away, right? Where we can start face on, I can face left. Or I can face right to work on my two-hand lane or my one-hand lane. Sure. And then you just move the bucket wherever you want to move it. And so we will move it to their left 
if we're working on uh, where they catch the ball, throw it, and they get a return feed, and it's like a shortstop uh, covering second base on a steal. Or we put it to their right, and it's like a second baseman or a third baseman covering their base on a steal, catching the return feed and tagging. Um, or where it kind of started was we were working on cutting distance on rundowns. And we were trying to do it inside, and we were trying to do it without – you know, somebody in the middle or me in the middle specifically, like trying to run back and forth. And we're yeah. just trying to get a feel for managing space and getting the ball returned back. Right. in enough time that I can catch it and kind of take a charge is the way we worded on, on, on a rundown. Right. Like okay. where, um, where if it was, if we were playing basketball, it would, it wouldn't be a blocking call, yeah. right. Where you've yeah. got both feet set ready to make a tag. Yeah. Um, and so you just move the bucket kind of wherever you want to, to be as demanding or as simple as you want to be. Right. And then it just comes down to a guy catching a ground ball clean, two step throwing. Right. And the guy that's, you know, the, 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 the players that are at the far end uh, catching that feed, catch it, flip their feet, two step throwing back, and we smoke it right over the top of the bucket. Um, and so there's a lot of variation. That's going to make a lot more sense if guys see it on video, right. but maybe, you know, that audio and then guys seeing it, um, you know, would, help somebody give them, you know, give them a little bit of idea, something that might help them out. Sure. I think I go to this. What's the, what's the adjustments inside of maybe the seasons? Cause certainly when, when you're getting up against competition and there's things that maybe come a little off or there's an error made or, or there's a, you know, maybe lack of confidence in a certain play. How are you managing that throughout the season inside of your group and, and inside your, your, obviously your plan? Um, you know, like I told you before, I'm kind of a big football guy. And so like the rhythm of our season kind of follows, you know, with it's not a pro ball schedule. Sure. Like we're going to play on Tuesday and we're going to play Friday, Saturday or Sunday. Yeah. And that's it. So yep. there is some prep time and certain days kind of have, uh, certain focuses, I guess, where, okay. and even, and this goes back to kind of a scouting report standpoint too, where we don't do near as much prelim scouting work for Tuesdays and midweeks than what we do for the weekend. And so the way that we kind of word it to our position players is Tuesdays are about us, right? And the weekend can be, can, can be about our opponent. And so like Monday's practice plan, for example, if an issue had come up, right, Monday's not going to be about who we're playing on Tuesday. Yeah. It's going to be about, you know, whatever, whatever is best for us, whatever is best for us to be able to develop or whatever. Um, same thing pregame Tuesday. And then once we get to Wednesday, it starts shifting toward you know whatever the the demands are going to be of that of, of that weekend and that's something that's a little bit unique to us our guys are so good about information mm -hmm. um that that we have to be uh for several different reasons we're pretty aggressive with how we shift we're pretty aggressive with how we position um and we've got you know i'm not saying that you know that we've got a full-fledged football game plan where plays are scripted and all that type of deal but they understand kind of what the keys are going to be to each weekend, like what type of personnel we're seeing, what kind of challenges they're going to present. Um, and then we start shifting our focus to trying to meet those demands Wednesday and Thursday, if that makes sense. Wow. So Monday and Tuesday is about us and Wednesday and Thursday is about our opponent. Wow. That's so. really good. Um, what's the feedback? And you talked about, I know we were, we were talking, uh, it was a couple nights ago about your core group that you've had really on the infield and you'll have them back. And what's the feedback in terms of when they came in as, 18 year old freshman and, and maybe thought they had some things figured out and then the progression and certainly the knowledge that comes with the teaching, what's been their feedback to you? Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh huh. They, uh, I know how um, to navigate a conversation, Andy. Yeah. We're 
it's a pretty unique dynamic. Yeah. Um, pretty demanding of them, super demanding of them. Um, but we are super duper close yeah. and they have, uh, you know, I don't really know. We are pretty lucky with this group and that they didn't come in with a lot of preconceived notions. We kind of fought the other battle, not that they had everything figured out. Hmm. Um, it was like whether or not I, I can do this or not. I can remember talking to Connor. We gotcha. were on the, we were getting ready to play the first one. I said, Hey, you feel good about it. You know, opening day, we're playing Delta state. They're preseason number three in the country. We're yeah. starting seven freshmen everywhere, yeah. <laughs> including a freshman on the mound. There's babies all over the place. Sure. Right. Hey, Hey, you, you feel good about everything. He just shakes his head. No, like I don't, you feel good about the relays. <laughs> feel good about, you know, and just slow down and just catch the ball first. I can remember standing with him in our third base garage, like trying to talk him out, you know, like same thing that my wife was trying to do with me this morning as I'm going out the door <laughs> sure. trying to do this podcast. Um, you can do this. Just catch the ball first, mm-hmm. you know, trust what we're doing and just catch it first, yep. you know? And so, um, we've really grown a lot. They've had, uh, you know, I would, I would say as a staff that, we have had an impact on them, but they've had a huge impact on us too. Yeah. So I'd kind of flip it, you know, the, but instead of, you know, the feedback that they've given us about how we've helped them, they have really, we had never had to prepare a team that young before it had never mm-hmm. happened. And so, um, and they've just been blank slates and Blake campuses and are, they want to be that type of program. They want to be, you know, a new England type Patriot deal where we can handle information. We can shift our game plans, maybe shift our identity, or whatever, if we need to from, from week to week and in order to be able to do that, they've got to be able to understand the concepts, not yeah. just understand the specifics. Um, and it is a very, very special group of guys. If you want to know what they think about me or think about coach McGehee, then you'd have to ask them. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. So, what do you, now I'm diving in here. What do you look at the last, obviously specific to last year, but maybe the last couple of years, is there something that you looked at on paper or you looked at in the dugout and you went, Hey, next year in the fall, as we progress, we've got to tweak this. We've got to adjust this, a, a, a program and a group that have done so well. Sometimes it's tough to find it, but I know who we are as, as competitors and coaches, we can always find yeah. something. What are you, what are you tweaking this fall? Yeah. Uh, uh, well, I don't know about this fall. Two years ago, um, we had, you know, s- some issues on the mound, but we did not have quite the depth um, that we'd had in the past. We had a couple guys get hurt um, that really, really hurt us, not from a pitchability standpoint, because Coach McGehee does such a good job. Pitchability is never going to be an issue. We're never going to walk the world. It's, it, it's, it's never going to happen. But we didn't have as much swing and miss stuff um, as what we were kind of accustomed to having. Okay. And so we play, like, we get three outside competition dates preseason is how the NCAA works the, works the Division Two rules. We play two of them in the fall. And we played one of them in the spring the week before we play. And we played Arkansas Tech with a pretty veteran team. And we didn't do anything very well. Mm-hmm. Uh, we played 20 innings, got to be like 30 to 3. You know, <laughs> and like it's uh, – and but what was kind of indicative that we didn't have as much swing and miss. We obviously didn't swing it very good either. We didn't defend very well either. We didn't do anything very good. Mm-hmm. Um, but where – we were able to funnel the ball to because of the level of pitchability that we had. And we knew we had guys that could really command the strike zone, right? Even if they weren't getting as many swings and misses mm-hmm. as what we got in the past, that we could get a little more aggressive with our positioning, right? To be able to kind of counteract that. Yeah. And so that kind of flipped a few things on our head for us that we're going to have to be, it's something that we're going to have to do moving forward. Um, and as you see, like, um, 
even even in Major League Baseball. One of the other reasons that I think kind of supports kind of how we do stuff and dealing in principle and not dealing in specifics is that the Los Angeles Dodgers, they don't need Justin Turner to just play third base, mm-hmm. right? Like mm-hmm. he may be at third, he may not be. He may be at short, he may be at second, he may be in shallow right, right? And so, you know, whenever people hear that, the first thing they think about is ground balls, right? That you got to be able to handle, but it goes a lot deeper than that. Yeah, that's right. I mean, you're talking about fly ball communication, you're talking about relay structures. You're talking about base coverages. You're talking about, heaven forbid, somebody bunt, right? And we're all out of whack. And so you can't just understand where to be. You've got to understand why somebody has to be there. And kind of those things kind of together of, okay, how are we going to best suit our 2018 roster to go meet the demands of our schedule based on, you know, the roster that, that, that we've got. Mm-hmm. And it was something that was good enough to us that we knew it was going to have to be something that was going to have to hold kind of going forward. It's kind of mm-hmm. who we are. Um, and so that's really the, the, the primary thing that sticks out. And that has a massive effect on how you prepare infielders. You're not just preparing a third baseman. You're not preparing a shortstop. You're not trying to pre- prepare a second baseman. You're trying to prepare a defender. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and so that is, that's kind of shifted a little bit of making sure that we're more thorough and everybody's on the same page. If we're in a different alignment on how we kind of, that's kind of where our definition came from too, that it's not about the third baseman goes here. The shortstop goes here. The first baseman goes here. It's about controlling distance, right? And how far apart the relay man or how far apart, you know, we're managing space on a first and third or whatever, how far apart we are defensively managing distance and controlling the trajectory of the ball. And so, you know, that's kind of the number one thing that's kind of, I guess, had the biggest impact on how we try to prepare defense. Wow, that is a, a dynamite answer. Um, let's go to this. Let me let me pause for a second because I had a really good follow-up. My brain's going 1,000 miles an hour right now, as you can imagine. But uh, holy smokes. By the way, you're killing it. Um, your words, not mine. I'm just telling you, you're, you're absolutely like you're in the zone. Um, what was my follow up? Cause you just hit something that was really, really good. Um, about the nature of shifting. Yes. Yes. That's exactly where it was going. Okay. All right, Andy. So let's go into this. Cause you and I were talking about this on the phone. I think it's perfect for this platform to talk about the shift and, and maybe even in small college athletics, we, we do have access to information. We can plot and plan. We know who we are on the mound and we can obviously read swings, but we know what stats tell us on paper for the opposing team. How have you adjusted to maybe implementing shifts and, and being uh, okay, maybe putting guys a little out of position based on what the stats are telling you? Yeah, I mean, we kind of the uh, – we want to, I guess, kind of the – I don't know what the – kind of the rubric that we use or kind of the uh, – what we use to kind of guide our thoughts whenever it comes to positioning mm-hmm. is that we want to be as aggressive as we can be until we reach the point of diminishing returns. Like that's kind of how it's kind of framed. And what I mean by that is we can shift all we want to, but if those range circles get too close together, right? Mm -hmm. Or Mm -hmm. if the risk that you're running doesn't match the reward, then we can't be that aggressive. And so that's kind of, we want to position until we reach diminishing returns. Um, And then I think the big thing with shifting is, and I think the biggest question that people have to decide is, are you okay if you get beat with it? And, you know, if you like your personnel, if you like the matchup on the mound and like, hey, we don't just need to give this guy a free hit in the four hole, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. because you like the matchup that you've got, then you don't need to do it. Um, If you're okay with getting beat with it, like, hey, I'm, you know, if he like this happened to us in the conference tournament where, 
we were playing a guy slight pull or shade as you and I talked about the other night mm-hmm. on the phone. Yep. Um, and our GA first year coach said, I think we need to shift him. And I mean, we're in an elimination game. We're like 33 wins. So we're trying to, we're trying to squeak our way into a regional yeah. two, 34, 35 might get it done. And I said, are you sure? And he said, if he hits a ground ball to the right side against a left-handed pitcher, it'll be the third one he's hit all season. Wow. You know, and it's a great catch by guys 23 years old. His name's Zach Beasley. He was at the Barnstormers deal. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and Coach McGay says, hey, let's do it. You know, we did it, ground ball left side, and we're and we're out of there. But you just have to decide if you're okay with it or not. If you yeah. can live with it, you know, then then do it. If it's going to bug you or if it's going to keep you up at night, and we just gave them something, then I think you, you may you may want to be a little more conservative. That's really good. I, I was telling you, and and I'll share it with our audience is that you know two years ago I went out to the Division Two World Series and Eric Newman, UC San Diego, which they've made uh, you know the D two series kind of their their resting stop in, in late right. May or lately, but. We had a great conversation. He mentioned the uh, uh, confidant that he has in professional baseball that just said, hey, man, I'm just telling you the numbers are the numbers, and we can't right. walk away from them. And so all Eric did very basically was take you know, on the pull side, take his shortstop, move him a few feet toward a six, take his third baseman, push him back and towards the six, take his second baseman and just move him a little bit, You know, like you said, shading right. off the, the, the edge of the pitcher's mound. Just right. on pull sides, he goes, and that's where we started on every single right-handed hitter. That's where we went. Left-handed hitter, we obviously switched it, and that's all we did. And then we could make adjustments off that, but we right. always stayed to that slight pull. And he goes, it was amazing to watch the number of ground balls that we typically, if we were all in traditional straight-up formation, that would get through the six yeah. for a base hit that were now not just backhand ground balls that were literally squared yeah, up. Square up. Yes, yeah. and getting outs. And he, and he goes, that – change the trajectory of how he was going to coach in terms of I'm going to play the numbers. I'm going to be okay right. if we do squirt one through the four hole on the you know right. from a right handed guy. But we're going to basically take the lessons that's right in front of us and plan accordingly. And he said it's made all the difference in the world. Yeah, I think one of the first people that I saw in college baseball, but not I'm not talking about the overall major shifts, but to go to what we call slight pull or what he calls shade yeah. is Air Arizona, John Jay in Arizona. Yeah. Whenever they were playing Coastal Carolina in, yes. the, in the national championship, yeah. Sergio series. Brown. Yeah, you could see it. Yeah. Um, basically, in that alignment across the board, uh-huh. and I think too, the one thing you know for us here is also based on what you have on the mound. And yes. so Tanner Smith was our Friday night guy, eighty to eighty-two mile an hour left-hander with one of the most competitive people I've ever been around in my life. Mm-hmm. We knew. Like Tanner could split a mosquito in half. Like we knew where he was going to throw it. Sure. And so I think that comes back to that sometimes when you do get beat, like it's not just, they didn't just hit it over there. We didn't, we, we also didn't locate. And mm-hmm. that's where you have to remember that mm-hmm. we're not, it's not about an infielder and it's not about a pitcher. It's about a defense. Yeah. And all those things kind of have to work together in order for you to kind of control opponent offensive output. That's if right. If all that kind of makes sense. Yeah. So, um, but it's been, Really, really good to us. Some of our footage from our from our conference tournament um, is is on is, is on YouTube, and there were several times where Connor Kelly, there's a ground ball right at him, and he is basically standing in the six hole. Like, what is he even doing there? Yeah. He's got a great feel too for like the one thing that you know. Another kind of couple reference points. Whenever you're doing that, you also have to be mindful of your depth, also. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so, like, whenever first baseman are shifting over further because to try to take away the four hole, if the second baseman's more to the middle, yeah. you know, they, they've also got to shallow up to make sure that they can still get to the bag, That's obviously. Right. And then Connor too has kind of got a feel for, he kind of tightens up and he shortens a little bit of distance just from kind of a timing standpoint, mm-hmm. whenever he goes to shade, mm-hmm. um, because obviously any, any, 
step that you're taking further away from first base, it's going to be that much longer, right, for the ball to be able to get across. And yeah. so in order to kind of help his internal clock, I don't even know if he's noticed it, to be to be honest yeah. with you. Yeah. Um, but I can see that he kind of cuts a little bit of distance, too, whenever he moves that way. The second baseman obviously doesn't have to do that. Um, but all those things kind of have to work together. And then the other thing with positioning is, and what, you know, Connor does such a good job of, is being able to swing guys based on the pitch call. And for mm-hmm. the guys, if anybody in our conference is listening to this, we do our best to do it late <laughs> enough that sure. nobody can tip it. Yeah. Um, you know, but we're okay with taking those cheat steps in our in our in our pre-pitch as the pitcher's lifting his leg. You know, and 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 if and if he beats us, he beats us. But Connor does a really good job of he handles all that information. Mm-hmm. Um, what the scouting report is on his card, what our base alignment for that guy's gonna be. Sometimes we do just go off the pitch call, sometimes it's slight pull based off the pitch call, and then we can go one step or two steps one way or another. And sometimes he kind of plays his gut also, too. So um, all those things kind of work together, you know, like like what I said, to be able to, you know, control your opponent offensive output as best you can. And I think the other thing, too, with, with defense is, you know, you're not going to shut everybody out. Right. It's not about one zero after another, yeah. you know, and it's not even really all about fielding percentage. For us, it's about – how can we minimize the impact of any one single event? That's what we want to try to do because Arkansas Monticello and Oklahoma Baptist and Henderson State and SAU, they're going to hit their home runs. Yeah. That's just the way it is. Yeah. You know, if somebody, if somebody from Henderson State gets on first, he's probably going to steal second and he's probably going to steal third. And there's not a whole lot you can do about it because of how good they are at it. But sure. what we do have control over is how do we minimize the impact of any one single event, right? How, mm. what, 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 what is our fielding percentage? Are we positioning in such a manner that's going to give us the best chance, right? And are we walking people or are we hitting people or are we allowing wild pitches? That's really, you know, how you go about controlling, uh, I guess, run, run totals or opponent offensive output or however right. you want to word it a lot more than, you know, making a great play or just a shift or whatever, all that stuff kind of has to work together. Yeah. Um, you know, to kind of give you the best chance. Absolutely. Well, last point I'll make on the on the shifting is uh, it, certainly, as you mentioned, it goes to your personnel. So if you do have a shortstop or let's say a second baseman that's not maybe as solid with his backhand play as you'd right. like, but he's really good to his glove side. It's exactly then, right. Then you're just playing to the strength of your personnel and making sure that that they put themselves in a position. And I was, as we're talking through that, thinking of a shortstop we had at St. Joe that, you know, had a good backhand, had a strong arm, but man, he was absolutely lights out to his glove side. And we should have put him in a situation where he didn't have to go to the six as much. He could make it a square up or or a glove side play and just leave that whole shade towards second base wide open so he could go make those great plays. So No, that's exactly right. I agree with that 100%. Okay, so if there is a youth coach, uh, which certainly I hope they're taking notes, if there's a high school coach, and I'm sure they're, they're absolutely elated with the information that's come through, what other advice would you have for them? If they were looking to develop infielders from, I'm talking from five-year-olds as we work up through 18s and the ones that you're looking to bring into your program, how would you start the development piece? And I'm going to follow up with the recruiting piece as well. Uh, the, the first thing, um, whenever we get infielders, almost inevitably, the first thing – well, the one thing they almost all have in common is that they're a little bit too high and they're a little bit too late, basically across the board. Okay. Um, and that's one thing that we haven't talked about. Timing has just as important of a role in infield play as it mm-hmm. does in hitting. Mm-hmm. If you can't be on time, you can't do it. Um, and so, you know, a lot of guys, because the game's a little bit slower in high school or whatever, the one thing that I would encourage uh, guys that are coaching younger players, or if tomorrow I'm coaching younger players, is to try to play a little bit lower 
right? And try to be a little earlier with your footwork and with, and with your glove presentation. And then let that, that's going to have a really positive effect on everything that happens after that. So that's really where I would start um, for me. And then, you know, again, like, like I said about, about, uh, about control and spin, mm-hmm. you know, the more, the less anxiety they can have in throwing um, the, I don't want to say easier, um, but <laughs> yeah. you know, any, any time that you can, the more comfortable they are, comfortable. the better they're going to yeah. play. Yeah. And so, you know, if they're not, if they know once I catch it, he's out nine times out of 10, you know, that's going to have a really positive effect too. That's a fact. All right. So when you're out recruiting and you're looking for the next infielder that walks into, you think walks into your system and flourishes. All right. For 17 and 18 year old kids that are out there listening, what are you paying attention to? Spring in their feet. Mm. Um, that's real bounce spring. Um, guys that have some bounce tend to develop guys that don't have bounce are pretty limited. Uh, cause we talked about athleticism and adjustability and that has to go to footwork that has to go to glove action that has to go basically across the board. Mm. And so spring and bounce. Um, and then again, how, how, how the ball spins and we've already kind of beat that yep. to death. Yep. And then, you know, for us, We've got a grading system that we use. It's got 10 parts, right? Where we grade them out two to eight or 20 to 80 or however you want to do it. We divide it up and get a certain number. But at the end of the day, it basically comes down to two questions. Okay. And the first one is, is this guy good enough? Right. And then the second one is, is it, is this guy one of us, you know? And so that's, you know, the bounce is important, right? And their arm strength and all that other stuff is important too. But the personality piece, um, guys that like being on a team. That's really what we're looking for. Yeah. Um, you know, cause that's, you know, one thing that I'll, that I share with our players or that if anybody asks me and say, you must really love baseball. I, I, I like baseball. Fine. It's fine. It's a great game. It's been great to me. What I love, I mean, I love baseball, but what I love more than I love baseball is being on a team. Yeah. Period. Yeah. And so those are the kind of guys that we're, that we're looking for the guys that want to be a part of a group and that guys that aren't too cool to care that are conscientious about everything that they're doing. If they're not going to be conscientious, if they're not going to look me in the eye, which I guess too, you asked me like, Hey, how do you get started? Well, that's kind of step one. Yeah. The first thing that we're going to do is we're going to look each other in the eye. You're yeah. going to look at me when I'm talking yeah. and I'll look at you whenever you're talking and then everything else can kind of disseminate from there. Mm-hmm. But you know, kind of those things from a physical standpoint, it's bounce and spin. And then from kind of an intangible standpoint, um, it's just a certain level of conscientiousness and guys that you can tell, uh, flourish in being a part of a group and when, whenever it's not just all about them. That's, that's, that's really what we're looking for here. That's so good. Okay, let's wrap this up. Last two questions. One is, best advice you've been given? So oh. that, that inner, I mean, and I, I know, especially with your dad and, and certainly from the coaching perspective, best advice and then just other advice. Anything else could be infield, could be off infield. Anything else you'd offer, Andy? Well, two things on the advice because there's really been two super impactful things that really stick out. And the first one was my dad. Um, and it's one thing that he's always said that I can't tell you when I heard it because he's always kind of said it. And, and, and you know how it is it, yeah. it, coaching, just like anything else. There, there are guys that, um, are in it for the right reasons. And then there are guys that are in it to, to try to climb a ladder and to not worry about whatever collateral damage there is in the way. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not something that gets talked about a whole lot, but it is the truth. I, yeah. I, I don't think that they're everywhere, but they are out there. And my dad told me, he said, one thing I'll tell you, this was, well, he did say this right, right before I went to Lubbock, but I'd heard it my whole life, is if it's about you, the players are going to smell it, hmm. and it's not going to work. 
you know, and it can't be about you. He's like, if you're going to push them at a 10, you better love them at a 20. Mm. And if you're not going to do that, you need to do something else for a living. And that's, you know, uh, agreed with it. And it's gets more, he gets smarter all the time. Like the older (laughs) I get, the smarter my dad gets and the, and and the dumber I get, that's kind of from kind of a, you know, just, I guess from an individual type basis. And then my first summer of managing, uh, managing the Eldorado Broncos and the Jayhawk league, Mike Hargrove, um, which was a surreal experience, by the way, who who managed the Indians forever, um, managed the liberal BJs. Um, and we were talking before batting practice one day and I asked him, you know, Hey, would you have one thing that you wish somebody would have told you before you got started? And this has really kind of guided me for better or for worse. Mm. Um, and whenever I've made mistakes, it's because I didn't hold to this point, um, as solidly as, 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 as probably what I should have. But, you know, he said, pick two, he said, pick two or three things. Four is too many, um, that no matter how good you're going or how bad you're going, right. That you're never going to get away from under any circumstances. And he said, doesn't matter what they are, you know, like you need to do a good job of picking them. They'll probably determine your success. Mm -hmm. Uh, but just pick two or three things that you're going to stick to and don't ever bend on those three things. Right. So if you've lost 20 in a row and you're worried about losing the team, right. And it's not one of those two or three things, then don't then don't blow up about it, yeah. right? In the same vein, if you've won 15 in a row, hey, maybe don't want to rock the boat, right? But whatever issue has come up violates one of those couple deals, you've got to address it no matter what. Wow. And make sure that the players know that that's what's guiding you, period. And that second piece is super-duper important, I think, in making sure that you don't lose a group trying to manage personalities kind of throughout the course of a season or, th- or throughout a guy's career. So it's been really, really good to me. Super beneficial. He was awesome for the record. Yeah, I guarantee um, it. Ab- about sharing information and super intimidating to 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 try to manage against, but it was a experience that I'm really thankful for. Okay, so, so there are going to be massive follow ups to this interview. I, I can assure you that. How can people get in touch with you? Give us the emails, the handles, anything you want that, to let a coach uh, connect with you. A Shatsley at Harding Edu and at Andy underscore Shastley on Twitter. Awesome. Well, I'm guaranteeing that you are going to get some feedback here um, just because it's been so insightful. Yeah, good, good or bad, right? There'll be, yeah. there'll be some type of feedback for <laughs> well, sure. They so, will let you know, um, but man, I'm telling you, it's money in the bank. Well, I appreciate it. And too, I've been waiting to the end to say this. Con- congratulations to you and your family. It Thank is you very uh, much, man. The, the opportunity that you've got, it's awesome. Welcome back yeah. uh, to, to this side of the line. Um, and to, you know, as being, I guess, the first uh, guest that you've had uh, since the announcement. It's uh, well-deserved, mm-hmm. and we are all indebted to you and the work that all of you guys do there. Um, everything that I talked about earlier, um, you know, the relationships that you guys create, especially the work that you guys have been able to do the last four or five years in, 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 in connecting people. It's surreal for me to be on this side of the phone. Like, mm-hmm. I'm used to mowing my yard and listening to other people yeah. talk. <laughs> other people sure. a, lot, a lot smarter than me. Um, but, uh, you know, it's what it's well-deserved, um, and could not be happier for you guys. And also kind of an equal parts, more, more thankful for all, for all the work you've done. Well, uh, it means the world to me, man. And I tell you, um, I'm indebted to our coaches and that was the, the really neat part of reflecting. I'm still trying to put my thoughts together on it. Um, man, without ABCA, there's no chance I'm taking this job. 
And uh, it's been such a neat opportunity. And I hope this isn't our last conversation on the podcast. We'll find out soon. But uh, (laughs) it's just a it's a neat opportunity to get back back in the trenches. Uh, I've already downloaded weather apps. Uh, I've, uh, I'm going to start, go. I'm gonna start messing with tarps. Yeah. I'm gonna start yeah. looking at I tarps. I can't say and- that I'm a hundred percent excited about, about, about having to recruit against you now, but I guess you got to take with the good with the bad. So, <laughs> well, at anyway, least, you know, when you see me but, on the trails, you're getting a bro hug. That's happening. 1,000% yeah, of the that's, time. That's, that's, that's exactly right. Man. <laughs> well, Andy, so, dude, congrats th- again. Thank you so much. This has been absolutely uh, a, a treat to talk through infield play. I didn't know that we could come back from Kai and Tuck, but we did, and we did it with a fury. So thank you for sharing. <laughs> I don't know about that. I'm telling you. <laughs> Thanks, man. Appreciate you being on with us, and obviously we wish you and, and the Harding squad the best of luck. Okay. Thank, thanks a bunch, man. Thanks so much for dialing into our Calls from the Clubhouse podcast and connecting with these great teachers and coaches. If you're interested in more of these shows, check us out on iTunes, hit subscribe, and dive right in, or head over to abca.org slash podcast and scroll through all of our episodes. Another huge thanks to the great people over at AstroTurf for sponsoring this podcast. So if you're looking to do any field upgrades at your facility, head over to astroturf.com That's astroturf.com and see why they have been ahead of the curve for over 50 years. Now here at the American Baseball Coaches Association, our mission is to serve coaches around the world. So let us know how we can help. Head over to our website, abca.org. If you're looking for more information, also follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at ABCA1945. And make sure you subscribe to our new YouTube channel over at youtube.com slash ABCA1945 for the latest videos and projects that we have on deck for each of you. And finally, feel free to reach out to me directly if I can help you out on Twitter and Instagram at CoachSheets3 or by email sheets, S-H-E-E-T-S, at abca.org. We'd love to hear from our loyal members and continue to find ways to keep growing the game together. So as always, coaches, thanks for staying dialed into our Calls to the Clubhouse podcast. Until next week, we ask you keep growing, you keep developing, you keep challenging yourself inside this game. We wish you and your club the very best, and thank you for what you're doing for the game of baseball. Baseball.